Welcome to DeFi by Design, where we talk all things blockchain and cryptocurrency while striving to educate, empower, and enrich. It's going on, guys. Welcome back to the DeFi by Design podcast. Here with Rob, the dual penguins today, uh, we've got a wild Charles from Expresso. Seems to have made his way out of his zoo and into his human form. Um, GM, GM, all excited to talk about your thesis today. Yeah, man, Charles, I, how how you doing? Things are getting a little wild out there. Good. Yes, thing, things are uh, wild though. I haven't had much time to, um, you know, stay tuned with uh with all the crazy things going on in the, in the markets these days. Uh, we we have been pretty busy internally trying to ship. Um, but yeah, uh, GM and uh, yeah, unfortunately, I do not own a pudgy penguin, but uh, um. Yeah, maybe, maybe I should consider buying one. Though they they, they are a little ape. expensive, man. Yeah, at least you don't have the board ape. <laughs> Shots so, where flip those, Rob. We're gonna just flip them right over their heads. It's for for almost everybody. Yeah, man. Well, uh, Charles, co-founder of Espresso. I've got a Cuban Espresso today. Uh, it's my coffee of choice. Love it. How did uh, how did the espresso name come to be? Is it yeah? Before I start, don't you We we had start, struggled for a long time um, to to name the project. Um, you know, we've been around for um, over three years now, and I think espresso only came to be I think one year in. Um, back then, we were so focused on privacy, though we so were. Um, working on Hotshot, we've actually been working on Hotshot, the consensus protocol that underlies um, the Espresso sequencer since the very beginning. Um, but back then it was for a different purpose. But we we ended up realizing it was you know perfect for um, for sequencing. And um, you know Hotshot, you know you kind of had the Espresso shot uh, right there. So I guess that was kind of the predecessor to Espresso. But um, yeah, it was it was just a random name, and I th- I think it's a really nice name. You know Espresso kind of um give gives you the feeling that it's super fast uh super um super responsive so that's that's really what we're trying to do here um with with espresso and then sequencer should have just should have just called it adderall <laughs> when i think of espresso i think of a super um uh instant um uh theorem aligned um positive sum public good vibe how did you guys go about crafting that brand and that kind of uh you know aura of of, of this and perhaps can correct me if there's a different way that you kind of feel that the market uh looks at espresso that that's a great characterization and it's uh yeah it's great to hear that you feel that way um ethereum alignment is uh extremely important to us um and maybe i should start by saying you know why espresso and uh you know what what we're trying to build here um but um basically what we're building is a shared decentralized sequencer um the two key parts uh the keywords are really shared and decentralized um but you know we're on the roll-up podcast. Uh, roll-ups are huge. You know, back back two years, we would have never imagined that roll-ups are having the transaction volume that we're seeing today. And um, you know, on many metrics, the aggregate of activity on layer two roll-ups right now is actually overtaking, uh, you know, layer ones like Ethereum, and that is incredible. And it is also scary um, for a couple of reasons. Um, first of all. Um, you know, pretty much all rollups right now are still running on uh, centralized sequencers. And what that means is the entity or the software that determines the ordering of transactions is basically being run by a single, um, you know, a single service, uh, probably not a single server, you know, there, there might be multiple, but they're still operated by the same entity, uh, whether it be the foundation behind the rollup or the development company. And there are a lot of risks um, to that. Um, so that is one reason why we are looking to decentralize. And then the other concern is that, um, you know, there is a lot of, um, uh, you know, fragmentation going on in the ecosystem. Uh, a year ago, maybe there were two, three live um, major rollups. Now we're seeing tens, we're seeing hundreds. And it is extremely difficult to uh, move value and to sort of interoperate between these rollups 
And that is where the part about being a shared sequencer comes in. Um, with rollups, um, you know, sharing the same sequencing infrastructure, we actually get a lot of interoperability benefits as well. So um, that is that is why we're, we're we're trying to address kind of both uh, shared and decentralized sequencing, and um, we'll we'll get into that a little later. Um, one one other thing on you know back to back to your question, Andy, which was on on Ethereum alignment. Um, the vast majority of rollups right now are basically settling to Ethereum, but as I mentioned, you know, a lot of transaction activity and as a result, fees are actually going to the rollups and very little is going um, out of that is going to Ethereum. Certainly rollups are paying a lot for data availability, but longer term, the trend is, as we see with all the data availability solutions coming out towards cheaper and cheaper DA and also um, alternative data availability solutions. And one concern, um, and this is, you know, it is more theoretical, but I believe it will become a very practical concern soon, is that if all of this value is being captured by the rollups and not all of that is coming back to the base layers like Ethereum, um, that is a concern because ultimately what underlies the security for rollups is the base layer um, like Ethereum. And it's important to stay incentive aligned um, with Ethereum. So to that end, one thing um, that is on our roadmap is restaking, um, allowing restaking of Ethereum uh, restake validators to play a big role and enjoy some of the rewards um, from operating sequencing infrastructure for rollups. And we believe that'll um, help align the incentives and um, you know make sure that uh, you know the ecosystem is growing for everyone. Um, so that 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 is uh, you know why I believe we are super focused on being part of uh, the Ethereum eco uh, ecosystem and the community and um, making sure that we're, we're incentive aligned all around. Amazing. Yeah. That very, uh, very important piece of technology um, and important value proposition here to solve interop across rollups. We, we speak quite frequently about this, this vision, uh, this feeling that that seems to be in the air that, with with modularity, a lot more rollups will ha will will start to pop up, um, and now with application specific rollups, all kinds of specific use cases um, tailored for certain certain use cases and communities. Um, it it seems and it feels that we're on the precipice of this like so called Cambrian explosion of rollups, and that because like modularity unlocks new scalability. Um, we will see new applications on their own rollups uh, serving these applications with the new scale. Um, and that's to say that the interop across these rollups is is mega important to give it an, uh, a user experience that feels smooth and seamless. Um, without that, you know, we fall prey to the, the fragmentation uh, problem. Um, one of the things that I found most interesting about uh, the, the panel I saw you on at Modular Day in Istanbul was this idea of atomic composability. And this is something that Andy and I have been trying to get to the root of in a, a few of our recent episodes is the difference between atomic composability, um, well, atomic composi composability being the umbrella term, and then the difference between atomic execution and the and atomic inclusion. Um, and this is something that that you kind of opened my eyes to when I when I first heard about it. Um, so I'd love to to hear about atomic inclusion, atomic execution, how those are possible with the Espresso shared sequencer uh, network, and uh, why that unlocks new value in rollup interoperability. Yeah, that that's a great question, Rob. Um, so, like I said, uh, we believe that shared sequencing. Um, that you know is super synergistic with various bridging solutions it does make various uh interoperability use cases much easier it isn't a silver bullet it doesn't solve everything um but it does make things a lot easier and at the core of that um is this question of um you know does shared sequencing provide atomic inclusion does it provide atomic execution and um that's something really important to understand so so why don't we go over that um so first of all let's let's imagine a situation where um, so let's, let's, let's say Andy, um, you have, uh, 10 ethers on, um, on Arbitrum 
and Robbie has a Pudgy Penguin NFT, and let's say that's on, um, you know, like an NFT rollup, maybe let's say like Zora, for instance. Um, and you guys want to do a trade for that without having to trust a third party, um, like without having to transfer the funds to like an exchange or like some centralized exchange or, or transfer the NFT anywhere. And keep in mind, these are on different rollups. So Andy has some funds on Arbitrum and he wants to use those to pay for an NFT on another um, another rollup that Robbie has. Um, so what we need here is this concept of um, atomicity. Atomicity meaning that if Andy makes a transaction to send Rob the 10 Ether and Rob makes a transaction to send the NFT to Andy, we want those two transactions to either both go through or for neither of them to go through. Um, it would be a huge problem if only one of them were to go through. Either you know, either Andy would be losing out on his money or, or Rob would be losing out on the NFT. Um, so, uh, you know, obviously since if, if two rollups are, have, have different sequencers, that is, that is a problem because you have two, um, two basic, uh, basically entities deciding the inclusion or exclusion of these transactions. And you really have no idea to trust that, you know, both of the, you have no idea to coordinate between these two sequencers to make sure that they either both include them or neither of them include them. And you also have to worry about, you know, um, malicious activity, like, uh, you know, the, the, the sequencer is not, um, not doing what they say. Um, so let's imagine that the two rollups share the same shared sequencer and this shared sequencer has support for what's called atomic bundles, which, uh, Espresso is able to support, um, with minimal, um, changes to, to the rollups, uh, ex execution layer, um, for that matter. Um, and if, if anyone wants to go into the more technical details, um, on this, we actually recently released a um, a, a post called the derivation pipeline on our HackMD um, that that kind of goes into the more technical details of how we accomplish that, um, how we how we translate the sequencer's output into uh, the roller blocks. But anyways, back to the higher level, um, atomic inclusion. Uh, so keep in mind this is inclusion, not atomic execution. Basically, is the idea that let's say Andy has created this transaction, Rob has created this transaction, so let's say we have transaction A and transaction B. The idea is that both are included or that neither of them are included um, within the same block. Um, now note that I'm saying inclusion. Um, the problem is that these transactions could fail. So let's say right before these transactions are executed, let's say Andy has already transferred away all of his ether and he no longer has the 10 ether to send. Um, then Andy's transaction could actually fail, um, even though both are included. And in a shared sequencer model, and you know we can discuss this a little bit later, but um, the way that Espresso is designed, and pretty much all shared sequencers that want to significantly improve um, throughput are designed, is that they do not handle execution, and they're pretty much blind to this rollup state. So. They actually do not do any validation of the transaction. So Espresso, while it is able to guarantee that both transactions are included, it cannot guarantee that both transactions are going to successfully execute. Um, and that's what is meant by atomic execution. So we aren't completely there yet. Um, now you might be wondering what value does a shared sequencer actually add then in that case, if it only guarantees inclusion, but it doesn't guarantee that the two transactions are both valid. Um, that is kind of where um, building comes in. Um, by combining a shared sequencer with a builder, uh, with a, like an economically incentivized block builder, we can actually do wonderful things um, with interoperability. Um, and uh, you know, for 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 the listeners who are maybe a little less familiar about um, this idea of building, um, the idea is that um, basically, uh, if you if you've heard of like um, you know, flashbots or anything like that, or like builders. Um, what users, uh, what, what happens in like many chains right now, such as Ethereum is, um, while there is a public mempool that users can submit transactions to, um, that is completely public and anyone can see those transactions. There are also protocols that allow you, um, that allow users to basically coordinate uh, kind of in another channel, in a non-public channel, um, 
and to basically uh, builders are offering the service um, to users to allow them to have a little bit more fine-grained control over when their transactions are included or say under what conditions they're included. So users could coordinate with a builder um, to say, okay, I only want like and Andy and Rob, Rob could, um, you know, you, you could coordinate with a builder on Espresso to say, I only want these transactions to be included if both of them are included at the same time and that they're both valid and I'll pay you a little bit for the service. Um, so builders are getting a small cut by providing the service, by providing this extra guarantee that both will be um, both will be executed successfully at the same time. Um, and builders can also put down like a bond um, to make sure that they follow through on their word. Um, and, you know, there are ways to enforce that this bond is lost. If let's say um, the builder only um, only processes Andy's transaction, but not Rob's. Um, anyways, I, I'm uh, oh, being a little wordy here, but uh, yeah, please interrupt. Charles, I, I remember the, the good old proof of work days of Ethereum when I pay the highest gas and, you know, my, if, if my transaction has higher gas than someone else, then my transaction gets executed before theirs. When, when did that change and, and why is that important, uh, important difference now? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, I think, I think, uh, I, I, I I'm, I'm kind of forgetting my, uh, my timelines here, but I, th I think it's been at least a few years now where people realize that, you know, as soon as things like Uniswap started showing up on Ethereum, uh, people realized that you could basically front run people um, by, you know, kind of bumping up the gas a little bit higher um, such that your transaction was in front of some innocent users. So let's imagine like you're trying to buy a large amount of Ethereum for DAI. Um, on Uniswap, on Ethereum, and you're a big will, uh, you have a lot of money, and naturally, by trading with an AMM, your transaction is going to push the price of Ethereum, or, or let's say a less liquid token, because, you know, Ether is super liquid, but obviously, you know, it depends on the liquidity of the token, but let's say you're trying to buy a token, and your buy order is huge, it's going to pump the price way up. Uh, what people realize is that, you know, as you said, um, you know, if if you just put uh before the block is created before that transaction is included in the block if you see that transaction in a public mempool um because remember this is a decentralized system as long as you're part of the network you're probably going to see the transaction you can calculate okay i can just create a transaction to buy a smaller amount of that same coin pay a slightly higher gas fee so that it goes in front of this big buy order from an innocent user and then schedule a transaction right after to sell that coin after the price has been pushed up and you can basically get a guaranteed profit at the expense of that user so that is when you know these sorts of services these building services um kind of sprung up um, both for the benefit of users but also for the benefit of people running these um you know sort of sandwich attacks or arbitrages to help them better you know find have better fine-grained control over their transactions now, um, let's go back to the multi-roll up setting, um, the setting where you have um, that we were discussing earlier, where you have two roll ups and you want to ensure that these transactions go through at the same time. The problem is that let's say there's still a public mempool here. Let's say Andy signs his transaction and Rob signs, you, you sign your transaction and you both, you, you want those two to ex execute atomically, meaning both or neither. You definitely cannot send those to the public mempool. Because anyone can look at those transactions in the mempool and they can take them and do whatever they want. So let's say um, even if like you, you're putting them into like say like a signed atomic bundle, as long as they're individually valid, you have a big problem on your hands. Um, so either either you need some way of enforcing that by a shared sequencer, or you need like changes to the rollups execution environments to support these bundles, which is which is a a whole other question. Um, but anyways. The, uh, this is this is the fundamental challenge, and that's kind of why you need a builder. So um, let's imagine you have a builder now. You have a building service um, that both of you are coordinating with to make sure that these two transactions are atomic. Um, let's say these two rollups, let's say uh, Arbitrum and Zora, um, are not running on the same sequencer. They actually are running their own sequencers. Then the builder basically needs to coordinate with both of these sequencers in order to get a guarantee that 
the builder can have a say in what is going to go into the next block on each of these rollups. And this can introduce a lot of risk for the builder because they're needing to coordinate with both of these sequencers. They can't get, get a guarantee um, from a single sequencer uh, of whether both transactions and both rollups are going to go through at the same time. And to that end, like it introduces a lot of risk, especially if the builder is putting a lot of money on the line. Um, you know, usually I would expect users to expect uh, builders to put down a pretty significant economic bond such that, you know, if only one of those transactions, like if only Rob transfers your NFT to Andy, um, but not, but doesn't get payment, like you would want the builder to lose a lot of collateral. Um, so this introduces a lot of risk. So that's where the shared sequencer comes in. Um, if the two rollups are basically using the same sequencer, then it's, it makes the job for builders uh, much easier and much less risky because they really only need to coordinate with one one sequencer here and they can get a clear guarantee whether or not both of these transactions are going to go in at the same time. Um, and, you know, it's not just limited to like two rollup transactions. Like you could have multi-rollup transactions where you want to do one thing atomically across many rollups. And that's where, you know, you, you have um, the, the, the value out of a shared sequencer is just so, so immense in that case. Right. Okay. And so take unpacking that then, is does that multi-role scenario apply similarly for a decentralized sequencer and a shared? And then like where does how is Expresso doing decentralized and shared sequencing? Like could you just break those two concepts down um for the community and kind of under un unpack the differences in possibilities with uh you know having the two separated and then also the two together in, in, in Expresso's yeah. model? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I would say they're pretty pretty orthogonal. So they're kind of on different dimensions. So I, I, you know we we can just go through toy examples uh, to kind of give give a sense of um, you know what these really mean. A shared sequencer really just means multiple rollups being sh sequenced by the same entity. You know it can be decentralized. It can be a centralized sequencer. It can be like a single server. In fact, um, so imagine like you know Arbitrum or multiple multiple rollups basically just using the same sequencer. And as we just went over in that in that previous example, um, you know, just the fact that they share a sequencer, it doesn't matter if it's decentralized or not, does make various aspects of interoperability easier. Um, now let's go to the decentralized side. So let's imagine it's not shared, but it's just decentralized. And of course, there are different degrees of decentralization, right? Um, you know, you could do a simple model where you are basically just rotating you're doing like sort of leader rotation um where the uh the role of ordering transactions is just cycled between different um different nodes over time so let's say uh you know one address propose is responsible for proposing the ordering of transactions for one block and then you cycle to another um that is actually uh doesn't provide as many advantages as we want because there is no real consensus and it's uh, it's still possible for like if if there's no consensus on the orderings and what i mean by consensus is that the 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 nodes as a whole or uh, agreeing on this order um uh in, in this sort of just simple rotation model um that there's there still is a lot of trust that is required to trust any individual node um on on like finality so what is even better is to actually have a consensus protocol that actually um, agrees uh, on whatever the leader proposes. And that is kind of what Espresso is doing. We are um, decentralizing the sequencer and we're actually use using a consensus protocol called Hotshot that has protocol um, that has properties that are kind of perfect for sequencing in order to do that. And that uh, I'll go into that a little bit more later. Um, and then, of course, on the most extreme end, you have this concept of based sequencing, which is just using the L1 itself to order. Um, of course, there are advantages there, but there are also disadvantages. So, for instance, like let's say you were to use Ethereum as the sequencer. So, Ethereum itself um, has a lot of advantages, right? It's maximally decentralized. Um, it's uh, you know it's maximally aligned. But at the same time, it doesn't have very fast finality. So like even though the block times are quite fast, like on the order of you know 10, 12 seconds, um, you know, the actual finality of Ethereum's uh consensus protocol is actually, you know, around 15 minutes. Um it's 
people often say it's 12 seconds, but it's actually 15 minutes. So you actually don't have certainty around finalization until 15 minutes. And that's that's kind of one of the key disadvantages of, of using based sequencing on Ethereum. Um, but go, going back to what we're doing with Espresso, um, we're using Hotshot, which is a decentralized protocol that is based on hot stuff, which is like a, um, a, a BFT protocol for consensus that has a few properties, the most important one being optimistic responsiveness. What that means is that, um, you know, there's actually no block time. And in, um, in optimistic conditions, in good conditions where the network is highly connected and, um, you know, sequencer nodes are, um, have, have good network conditions, their, their, their throughput is very high, we can actually create blocks as quickly as the network allows and we can finalize those blocks almost immediately. Um, and that is super important for rollups because rollup users demand to know that you know their transactions are final really, really quickly. Um, you know, as soon as they place a trade on like a DEX on, on Arbitrum or something or a GMX, they want to know exactly whether that trade executed, they want to know at what price it executed, and, and they want a guarantee of that very, very quickly. And Hotshot is able to provide this. Um, at the same time, we're also able to scale to, you know, thousands of nodes, which is, um, really amazing that a consensus protocol that can, that has such fast, um, and low latency and has such high throughput can also scale to such a large number of nodes, which is extremely important for, um, you know, for Ethereum alignment and for true decentralization. And, um, that's also what enables us to use restaking for, for more Ethereum alignment, um, the fact that we support so many nodes. So um, we think what we're doing with Hotshot is kind of a, like the perfect spot in the design space for, um, for a balance of like uh, throughput, for a balance of performance, as well as um, Ethereum alignment, as well as decentralization. So that's, that's kind of the decentralized side. And um, just the mere fact that multiple rollups can use Espresso, it's kind of like a neutral shared infrastructure, makes it like a sort of, you know, it, it's like a shared and decentralized sequencer. Um, and, you know, more more practically speaking, um, we already have several rollup integrations. We have integrations with many rollup stacks. Um, we have uh, our first, we're currently on our third test set. And actually, I think by the time this podcast is up, we'll have released our fourth test set, Gibraltar, um, which has an Arbitrum Nitro integration. The previous test sets um, had OP stack and Polygon um, integrations. And I believe our previous test set was like the first sort of demo of like a shared decentralized sequencer with rollups from multiple stacks, um, specifically OP stack and Polygon stack running on the same infrastructure. So um, pretty cool. And I'm, I'm, I'm super excited for, for what's come. But anyway, uh, anyway, sorry to uh, go go on so long, but I uh, hope, hope that gives a good sense of, of, of the question. What, Charles, when, uh, when rollups integrate Espresso's hotshot, and they plug into this decentralized shared sequencer. Are rollups contributing to a combined mempool made up of multiple rollups transactions? Yeah, that, that's that's completely correct. So there is um, there's basically like a total ordering that is generated um, by the sequencer that is output by the sequencer, and then rollups can interpret that ordering however they want. And that kind of goes into like the more technical derivation pipeline uh, that I, would, I had mentioned earlier. Taking a quick commercial break here to tell you guys about our lovely sponsors. Right before we get back to this fascinating discussion, we have a message from our current sponsors. Here we go. I want to take a moment to introduce you to our sponsor, Premia Finance. Premia is a native options protocol that offers market-driven pricing and capital-efficient returns for traders and liquidity providers. With Premia, you can trade options on a variety of different crypto assets. What sets Premium apart is its unique pricing mechanism, which is based on the market's expectation of future volatility. This means that options prices are always in line with market conditions, which provides traders with the most fair and transparent pricing. Recently, Premium has just launched their Options Academy, where you can learn for free how to become a proficient options trader. Feel free to check it out at premium.finance, hedge your risks, or amplify your positions um, to earn more capital-efficient returns on Premium Finance. Thank you. And another exciting sponsor to introduce you is Plan of Finance. I've recently been onboarded as an advisor for Plan of Finance, which is one of the first self-custodial wallets to support account abstraction. 
With Planet Finance, you can revolutionize your crypto experience and take control of your assets like never before. Say goodbye to the hassle of managing multiple wallets. Hello to a seamless, user-friendly experience. Planet Finance allows you to easily manage your assets, swap tokens, and earn rewards all in one place on your mobile phone. They have an app in the Apple App Store as well as in the Google Play Store. Uh, with Planet Finance's self-custodial wallet, you hold the keys to your assets, ensuring the highest level of security and privacy. With tons of cool features like gasless trading, um, interesting yield competitions, and cool NFTs, there's an amazing amount of effort going into building this app that already has tens of thousands of users. So what are you waiting for? Download Planet Finance today and experience the future of crypto wallets. Very cool. And then, okay, so so then can you can you kind of reconstruct how finality is generated? Now now it makes sense. We have all of these rollups contributing transactions into this combined mempool. And then, you know, if though if it was just Ethereum's mempool, there would be this process of proposing and then building and then gossiping those blocks and and arriving at consensus. Could you reconstruct how consensus is arrived? um in in espresso's mempool yeah actually um i think i think one one related question that um you know the listeners might be wondering is like why do we even need a sequencer like why why don't we uh why don't we just use ethereum uh for sequencing or why don't, why don't we use like solana or something like that um and 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 more generally like the question is like what is the purpose of the modular stack? You know, is it is it actually better than a monolithic solution? And basically, um, the the intuition uh, behind this whole idea and behind you know why you would want a purpose built sequencer is um, fundamentally like all blockchains are basically like uh, like state machine replication systems. Um, there, uh, the the idea is that. The, there's a distributed network of nodes and they all agree on the state and users are able to submit transactions to that state and the um, the, the network needs to do a few things. So first of all, they need to uh, do consensus. Um, they need to, uh, and that basically means to agree on the ordering of the transactions. And then secondly, they need to, as you said, they need to disseminate the data. They need to broadcast that data to every, every node in the network or at least every... Um, Every every honest node, and then finally the third step is they need to execute those transactions. So they've agreed on the ordering, they have uh, broadcast the data, and then they need to execute all the transactions. Um, and these three transactions, uh, these three actually requirements, so consensus, um, data broadcast, and execution, they're actually separate. And in typical monolithic blockchains, so like Ethereum, Solana, um, you know, pretty much every uh, layer one. Uh, every layer one basically handles all three. Um, but the problem is that the overall performance of the blockchain then is basically bottlenecked by the slowest of these three. Um, and that that's kind of the, the, the intuition behind why you might want to split up these roles. So for instance, let's think about what Espresso or any sequencer is really doing. Um, a, a sequencer doesn't really need to satisfy all three of these requirements. In the case of a sequencer like Espresso, Basically, users are submitting transactions to the rollup, and then these transactions end up in the mempool. Uh, it's like a, I guess, you, as you said, it's like a shared mempool. Um, the sequencer receives, uh, re retrieves these, and then um, it basically outputs a, a finalized um, list of transactions in in that ordering, uh, in the ordering that the that the sequencer produces, and then the rollups themselves, not the sequencers, uh, execute the transactions. So, uh, what, what is what is the key point here? Basically, the key point here is that the sequencer doesn't need to execute or even validate the transactions. Um, and, and that is really key because it basically takes out one of these requirements that a typical L1 would have from being a bottleneck. And um, we, we can even relax the... So, so uh, just, just to summarize, we no longer have the execution requirement and we can even uh, relax the sort of data availability requirement as well. Um, we no longer need to have the sequencer nodes basically broadcast the transaction data to all of the sequencer nodes because they no longer need to execute. We do need to ensure that 
the data is available for the rollups and their users to execute. That is basically the, the data availability problem. And that's why there's so many data availability solutions and why it's such a big, big question right now. But the, um, considering these three requirements, we do need to ensure an agreement on ordering. So the sequencer nodes need to come to an agreement on ordering. There's sort of a relaxed data availability in that the sequencer nodes don't actually need to broadcast the data, the transaction data to all of them. We only need to ensure that the data is available to those who need it. And finally, we don't need to do execution at all. So even though you can implement a sequencer using like any state uh, state machine replication system, basically any blockchain can be used as a sequencer, we can make a much, much more efficient and much simpler system. And that is what Espresso is trying to do. And um, with this relaxed data availability requirement, with the lack of uh, need to execute, consensus is really the only bottleneck. And we've basically put all our efforts into making sure the consensus, which as I mentioned is hotshot, is basically perfect for this use case of sequencing in that we can support as um, you know as high throughput as possible in good network conditions um, and also uh, you know have very, very fast pre-confirmations, very low latency, while also being able to scale up to many, many nodes. And the way we do that is actually hotshot. Um, the, the nodes are actually only responsible for agreeing on a short commitment to the order block. We don't even, as, as I mentioned, the sequencer nodes don't actually need to um, download all the data. And we also have uh, what we call tiramisu. It's a, like a sort of multi-layered, we call it tiramisu because it's multi-layered. It's a multi-layered DA that supports the sequencer um, running in parallel um, to, to ensure that data is available for, for those who need it. Um, but anyways, that, that's sort of the approach that we're taking and why we are able to kind of maximize the, the, the throughput whilst, you know, still having a very decentralized system. Yeah. And I, and I think there's definitely a strong focus on, um, the decentralization of that system, um, which is, is very important. Right, even some people struggle to understand now, kind of what you said earlier with, with regards to even just things like optimistic rollups not using fraud proofs and rollups having centralized sequencers, things that we're working towards. And Vitalik gave a speech about it in Istanbul. It was on a panel, and I think it's something that a lot of people are thinking about now. The thing that I'm not really understanding from this, um, with, with regards to the switch, is like, how does that? Happen? How do you take, like, let's say optimism or arbitrum or any of these, any of these uh, rollups that have a ton of, of transactions, users, volumes, etc. How do you switch the sequencer from the current setup to something like Expresso without downtime, with uh, seamlessly, and ensuring that there's no kind of uh, points for MEV or, or malicious attacks? Like, what is this transition from the current state to the future state using decentralized? Uh, shared sequencers uh, look like that that is a great question andy and it's um you know the the exact migration and how that is going to look like when the time comes is honestly something that is that that we have not finalized yet but i, I can tell you a little bit um about what what we are doing to to work towards that goal um so uh late last year we we actually spent a lot of effort um working on the op stack um the, the Optimism Foundation had a uh, had a RFP, uh, a request for proposals for um, sort of their uh, sequencer module, their their decentralized uh, sequencer selection module. Um, we actually won that, and we 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 spent a lot of effort sort of um, working on that part of the OP stack, and working on the part specifically where um, you know you can plug in any sequencer you want, and that that is going to have, um, you know that. That is not yet merged into main, but uh, you know we're we're, like, we're 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 working with that, and um, ho hopefully that will be seen, and that will be super super helpful for you know not just OP stack rollups that want to um, have their have flexibility and have their choice around what sequencer to use, um, but hopefully it will be used in the future for for optimism uh, mainnet as well. Um, on the on, on on the Arbitrum side, uh, you know we've been working working hard with Offchain Labs, which is the original developers of Arbitrum and the Arbitrum technology. We have a um, partnership with them, um, not not just on not just on integrating Ar uh, Espresso with Arbitrum, but also um, working on um, decentralized time boost. So time boost is a is a protocol for um, for transaction ordering that that um, Offchain Labs introduced and um, 
we're, we're working on bringing that in a decentralized setting and also um, adding the option for sort of threshold encryption on transactions, which does, uh, you know, help with the MEV issue, um, as you mentioned, Andy. So these, these are just baby steps. Um, you know, we're primarily working on integrations of the technology stacks right now. When the time comes and when, you know, uh, large rollups um, with, with tons of transactions um, do decide to make the switch to a more decentralized system, um, be it be it Espresso or something else. Um, obviously, there's going to be a huge upgrade process. We're going to need to go through governance procedures. And that that is something, th those are things we're all thinking about um, right now. But um, yeah, still, still a lot of work to do. What is the, the value proposition to the current recipients of the sequencer revenue and does the transition to a shared sequencer and a decentralized sequencer undercut the revenue that the these rollups are are bringing bringing in now um if so what what's the what's the proposal or the value proposition to these rollups as to why they would transition yeah like is decentralization enough of an incentive or is there something yes yeah. That's a, that's a great question, and um, there, there there are a, a few points I want to make, um, but but yeah, th this is frequently a concern that I hear, um, and um, it, it is a conception that okay, um, since the sequencer is the entity that decides the transaction uh, trans transaction ordering, then therefore um, the sequencer must capture all the MEV, and therefore they're going to take all the fees, um, and and I believe that is um, sort of a misconception. It's kind of thinking at the at, at the first layer, but it's not really thinking um, deeper. Um, first of all, uh, you know, sequencers are, uh, regardless of which, whichever sequencer is chosen, um, that sequencer is definitely going to make sure that rollups are as good off, uh, roll, rollups and their users and their stakeholders are as well off as they would have been without. Um, whether that is through um, intangibles like decentralization, as you mentioned, or um, or actual, you know, revenue numbers or both, um, you know, rollups are going to need to be incentivized to buy in to a decentralized, uh, sequencer network. And while the costs of operation of a decentralized network may be higher, um, not only are you getting advantages, but you're also getting, um, you, you're also getting increased revenue, uh, by the fact that, you know, you're generating more value by the fact that uh, rollups can now plug into a shared sequencer and you now have all of this cross rollup activity that is willing to pay higher fees. Um, so that, that's the thinking there. So first of all, like rollups are not going to buy into a system where they're worse off. Um, everyone is a rational actor and for, for these things to go through governance, definitely the vast majority of value is still going to need to go back to rollup stakeholders and their users. And secondly, um, the thinking is with a shared sequencer, you're actually generating more value from these cross rollup transactions, whether it be arbitrages, which can generate a ton of value. Let's say you have um, prices trading at different, um, you know, uh, assets trading at different prices on different different rollups. Um, there's a lot of value there, and people are willing, maybe willing to pay much higher fees for those types of transactions where they um, where, where they have high profit potential, and that's another source of um, source of revenue that a shared sequencer can unlock. Um, obviously that is, that more comes from the shared aspect rather than the decentralization aspect. But if you think about it, um, you know, for, for a sequencer to really be neutral and to be credibly neutral and also trusted as sort of like a public infrastructure, it kind of needs to be, uh, decentralized for, for, for multiple rollups to buy in. So that, that's the thinking there. So is this, would, would the easier, more seamless interoperability, um, that 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 also could could play a part, um, especially for these things like like Arbitrum who has Orbit with their L3 zk sync has zk stack. Um, obviously, the, when you bring in zk, I think there's a little bit of difference with regards to how the sequencing and proving works. But um, you know what you're kind of suggesting, I think, is that uh, that the there's advantages not only on the economic but also on potentially like I guess like the UX or or um, uh, Mosability fronts that that make it um, a very justifiable cause. In addition to just the uh, decentralization um, aspect, um, kind of going even further on that interop um, subject, um, I'm not sure if 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 you touched deep into kind of how you guys are thinking about um, 
these rollups then transitioning to a decentralized shared sequencer, let's say in down the line, and then how do these rollups then communicate with each other? Um, what does this look like for bridges? Um, and in this world that I'm kind of trying to push forward for you uh, with your mental model, like what is the L2 to L2 communication then look like? Um, yeah. Yeah, that, that's a great question. So so as I mentioned, um, you know, shared, shared sequencing, uh, you know, we, we do get atomic inclusion and with, you know, uh, economically incentivized builders, we can achieve atomic execution as well. Um, that alone does not mean we don't need bridges. In fact, um, we actually still need bridges. It's just that the, the fact that two rollups share the same shared sequencer makes running a bridge easier. It can it can provide better guarantees. Uh, the, the bridges can provide better guarantees. They can operate faster. You know, bridges right now they still many still require time. They need to wait on both rollups. They need to wait a quite quite a while, um, depending on the trust assumptions, um, to ensure that you know the bridging is final. Um, and the and the fact that you know two rollups can share the same sequencer um, brings a number of advantages on you know security and finality. Um, so ju just to give an example, right? Um, if two rollups were to share the same sequencer, one advantage on the security side is that it actually makes certain types of attacks impossible. Um, so the basic way, like let's say you're trying to bridge one asset from rollup A to rollup B, what you're generally going to do is you're going to lock up your asset. So let's say it's a um, it's a stable coin like USTC. You're basically going to lock up your uh, your USDC on rollup A, let's say Arbitrum. You're going to lock that in a contract, a bridge contract. And then on rollup B, the same bridge contract on rollup B, let's say Optimism, is going to check the check the contract on rollup A, check that you've actually locked up the USDC. And then only then, once it's sure that you've locked it up, it's going to mint some wrapped USDC on, on Optimism after that, that you can use. Um, now... For the for the bridge to be secure, it needs to be absolutely certain that your transaction where you locked up your USDC on rollup A is not going to revert. Um, because if it's reverted, then you basically have that USDC and you have the wrapped USDC on both on both rollups, and then you've basically doubled your money at the expense of the bridge. So now let's think about that if the two rollups are sharing the same sequencer. If the two rollups are sharing the same sequencer, then even if you did manage to roll up your transaction on a roll up A where you locked up your USDC, that would also revert um, the roll up B as well because they're running on the same sequencer. Um, so ob obviously, th th this is just a simple example. It is one type of attack. It is It obviously doesn't stop all of the attacks, but this is just an example where shared sequencing kind of makes bridging easier. Um, another thing is like uh, fast finality, right? So uh, as I've mentioned, what we're trying to do with Espresso is we're trying to provide as fast finality as possible so that as soon as the sequencer outputs an ordering of transactions, users can basically be sure that that sequence is final within seconds. And that is really something um, that you can only do with um, with consensus amongst a very decentralized set of nodes. Because in the current model where you know rollups have centralized sequencers, it can be um, it can be difficult or it can be risky to trust that those sequencers, as soon as they output something, they're they're just never going to change that and they're never going to revert that. It's much easier to trust um, an incentivized group of proof of stake nodes with a lot of money on the line that um, you know the consensus is going to work and that two thirds of the stake is honest. So the fact that we have fast finality through Espresso also means that bridges can function much more quickly. Um, even if really, even if only one rollup um, out of the two rollups that you're trying to bridge between is using Espresso, you you still have this guarantee of fast finality, and that that that's super important. So, um, how would canonical bridges fit in compared to um, sequen uh, using something like Espresso in terms of like security and decentralization for this um, bridging situation? Like, um, or is the uh, is the canonical bridge uh, technically still more uh, secure than the shared sequencing network, or is it a gradient? I'm just trying to really understand the level of um, trust which which uh, is required in in the system compared to um, 
interop using like, you know, the OG L1 to Arbitrum Bridge or, you know, like the original bridge. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it t totally depends on your your trust assumptions, right? So what, what Espresso is providing is still a pre-confirmation and ultimately the, alt the ultimate arbiter is still the layer one. And unfortunately, the problem with the layer one is that um, the, you know, the, the, the true finality from the layer one could take days or not weeks, right? Um, and if, if you really want to just, with, like, let's let's say you wanted to move assets from, like, Arbitrum to Optimism um, without without going through, like, a bridge, without, uh, you know, without having to, uh, by bridging back from Arbitrum to Ethereum Layer 1 and then wrapping it into Optimism, I mean, that, that that's probably going to take, like, a couple weeks. Um, so that, that's just not very practical. So the question is, if you're using a bridge, what are the assumptions under which you're, you're bridging and uh, what what is the bridge comfortable with trusting in terms of a guarantee that a transaction is not going to be reverted? And it's a lot, the, the claim I'm making is that it's a lot easier to trust Hotshot rather than an arbitrary central, um, especially for a smaller role. Um, you know, users may be very willing to trust Opchain Labs, which uh, run Arbitrum because they're a well-known entity in the space. Um, but, you know, as more and more rollups come up, um, you may know, you may not know who's running the sequencer and it's just so incredibly easy to, um, for, for a malicious actor to first, um, you know, who, who's running a sequencer to first, uh, commit to an ordering and broadcast that ordering to users. And then a few seconds later, just completely change that. Whereas if you have a consensus protocol, like hotshot, you would actually need, um, you would actually need more than one third of the stake to be dishonest and to completely attack, coordinate to attack the consensus in order to change any ordering after something's considered final. And that is extremely difficult, especially if you have a lot of economic stake behind that. And that reason is actually why we're, uh, we think restaking is so important, such an important part of the puzzle is because um, if you're able to empower Ethereum validators um, to support me running this deep, um, sequencer network. That is a ton of economic security right there. Um, so that, that's kind of the thinking about why we designed Espresso. I think this next question will relate to, to restaking Ethereum validators. I'm, I'm curious in Espresso's consensus mechanism, is there another validator that's added into the mix? Let's say Optimism and Arbitrum are plugging into Espresso. Arbitrum's got its set of validators. Optimism's got its set of validators. And for them to interact with each other uh, in Espresso, are, the, are Arbitrum validators communicating and interacting directly with Optimism validators? Or is there a third node in this system that is handling communications across the rollups? Yeah, I... Um, can, can you hear me by the way? I, I think there's some change. Yeah. Yeah. We, we can hear you fine now. Okay. All right. Cool. Um, yeah, I, I think you're hinting at a very important, um, uh, concept here. So if Arbitrum and Optimism were to plug into Espresso, uh, the actual consensus on the ordering of transactions would be, um, would be basically finalized by the same set of nodes. Um, and that 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 would in, include that would basically be espresso sequencer nodes, and and some of those would be based on uh, restaked Ethereum uh, validators. Um, and then, you know, I I think kind of kind of on that thread that you were, um, uh, you you were going down. Um, this idea of builders, I guess, could be considered a separate type of node, where you might want a builder to provide an extra guarantee that two transactions are going to execute successfully. Um, you might also have, uh, rollups might also choose to have, uh, different sort of MEV mitigation strategies. And that is something that, um, Espresso totally supports. Um, so for instance, with, with the design around time boost, um, you know, for instance, Arbitrum could support only, uh, could support time boost, whereas Optimism might just not use time boost and time boost or some other MEV mitigation strategy could be run by, um, by a separate committee as well. But um, yeah, we're building Espresso to be very flexible and um, 
basically pluggable with 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 um, any any sort of um, MEV mitigation approach. Nice. Um, kind of taking even further there, we were speaking with um, Marston and some of the other guys from Cartesian. They were mentioning that Espresso specifically fits well with the Cartesi VM um, and kind of shifting gears into how you guys are positioning for this kind of modular thesis and this modular future. How how does Espresso fit in with uh, non-EVM um, uh, virtual sheets? Um, and also, how does Espresso fit in with uh, data availability layers? I know that we've touched on this a bit. Um, but I want to start with Cartesi and also other alternative VMs and kind of how the system that you guys have built works with non-EVM virtual machines. Yeah, great question. Um, so first of all, Cartesi is super cool. Um, we've, we've been, uh, our team has been working with theirs um, extensively for the, for our last couple of test sets and um, it, it, it's, it's super cool. So, so just for the listeners who haven't looked into it yet, um, Cartesi is basically uh, working on application-specific rollups, but the key thing there is that there's a Linux runtime behind it. Um, so they actually have their own VM that's like a RISC-V um, runtime that, that runs Linux. And um, that like significantly, like dramatically expands the design space of, of possible applications. Um, one example, actually, in our last uh, testnet, um, that we integrated with Cartesi um, on, on the on the espresso side, uh, or actually Cartesi did the integration, um, is that I, I think Carson was actually the one who put a Rickroll video um, through the sequencer. So that was like a um, like a twenty megabyte video um, compared to like a typical like EVM transaction, which is like you know on the order of hundreds of bytes. So it's like you know it's it's like a hundred thousand times bigger. Um, and that, that sort of gives an idea of like what might be possible with Cartesi. Um, so su super, super cool. And in order to support that, um, if you want to both be, you know, sort of decentralized and have the benefits of being decentralized, um, while also being able to support that, you need a super, super performant sequencer protocol. And you also need a very, very robust DA solution. And um, that is, that is once again, what we're trying to um, optimize for with Hotshot. We're taking data availability off the, um, you know, off the main blocking path, and um, we are trying to make things run as quick as possible, as as quickly as the network allows. Um, so that's really the core idea there. And um, and you you also had a great question, which was, um, you know, uh, is this limited to only EVM rollups? Is it limited to only Ethereum rollups, or could, does it work with anything? And I, I should have been a little bit more clear about that earlier. Um, Espresso actually works with pretty much anything. Um, once again, it's it's uh, it's kind of agnostic to the rollup type. It's agnostic to the rollup state or the execution environment. We really work with arbitrary data, and the whole idea behind Espresso is just to make it do one thing um, simply as good as possible. And that job is basically to come to agreement on the ordering of any data, um, any transaction types. And basically provide fast finality for that. Um, you can, in fact, think of uh, Espresso as a fast finality layer because that, that's really what we're doing. Um, so yeah, uh, Espresso is designed to work with pretty much any any type of rollup. Uh, it doesn't need to be Ethereum. Um, and then now we'll those. Go... Sorry, yeah, go on, go on, Andy. Yeah, yeah. No, 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 I was just gonna say. I think you're getting to it. Um, so uh, the the DA layer is interesting as well, and then also like. Yeah, let's just start there. So, so then, how does yeah. that um, work? Yeah. So, as I mentioned, um, we we are kind of dealing with a uh, sort of relaxed data availability problem. So, we do not need to make sure that the transaction data is disseminated to all of the sequencer nodes. That would be pretty inefficient, and that would probably be the bottleneck. And in fact, that is the bottleneck in a lot of L ones. Um, what we do need to ensure, though, for the sequencer to to work is that the data is available for those who need it. So specifically, you know, rollups themselves need to be able to get the roll up, uh, get the transaction data. So we do have a um, some uh, a system, a, term, uh, a DA solution that's running in parallel with Hotshot called Tiramisu. 
And the reason we provide, uh, we call it tiramisu is because we, we ha actually have three layers with varying trust assumptions. So like we have a very, very decentralized um, DA system um, that, that is very bribery resistant. And then we have one that, you know, is, is much more efficient, um, but uses committees. So it's a little less bribery resistant. Um, and, you know, we, we have one that that's like super, super fast. That's, you know, kind of facilitated by like a more centralized sort of CDN. Um, but that, that's, that's what we call tiramisu. Um, and we, that is like integrated with hotshot and that hotshot would, you know, the sequencer will not function without it. But that being said, um, we, we know that rollups want to use their choice of DA, um, whether that be Ethereum, they might trust, um, Ethereum and nothing else, or they might want to use something like Celestia, or they might want to use, um, you know, Eigen DA or, or, uh, or Avail and, Data availability is super additive. Um, my opinion is like the more you have, the better, and the better guarantees you have. Obviously, it might cost a little bit more, especially if you're using Ethereum. But you know, DA is additive, and um, Espresso is compatible with 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 all of them. So Espresso fully embraces the modularism, not maximalism mentality. Oh, but yeah, like that. But also with tech stack, like pretty much fully compatible with with. Uh, any 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 roll up settling to Ethereum, regardless of the DA or VM, is, is that yeah right? absolutely yeah and and I, I would say not even just settling to Ethereum. Um, while we are uh, validating basically the output of the hotshot consensus, we are working on a smart contract to kind of validate that um, as a sort of public good, um, and that is on Ethereum. That could also uh, be deployed on pretty much any other chain. Um, we we are doing like a um, EVM implementation, but you know, it, it could be verified on any other chain. So I, I would not even limit it to only Ethereum settled rollups. Nice. Okay. So then, um, speaking, then jumping out of the weeds into the practical terms, what's on the menu for Espresso in the coming, uh, months? Um, obviously we've got one more test net. Um, how are you guys looking to go about integrations, um, in getting, uh, the shared sequencing network to mainnet? Um, what is that looking like for the team, for the tech? Um, what's on the menu? Yeah, um, super, super excited. So um, as I mentioned, around the time, you know, the, this podcast comes out, we're going to have our fourth test set out um, that we're calling Gibraltar. Um, and uh, uh, the, the, key, the key points there are, so first of all, we have the Arbitrum Nitro integration. We have a lot of progress on um, on VID, so verifiable information dispersal. That's uh, that's like sort of the key behind um, one of the layers of Tiramisu DA. Um, the idea is to kind of move transaction dissemination um, off of the critical path um, while, while still giving the, the DA guarantees. So it'll it'll do a ton for for efficiency, um, and that uh, will go live basically. You know right around the time this podcast is out. Um, we're working with Caldera to deploy um, rollups from multiple stacks, so both the Arbitrum and OP stacks uh, on Gibraltar, and we'll also have a Polygon um, ZKVM instance. Uh, we're working with uh, Altlayer as well on de deploying rollups, and uh, Cartesi has also built an integration. Um, and Gibraltar will also be the first testnet that we're running with um, external node operators. Um, in this case, uh, Blockdemon is, is uh, working with us. So super, super, super cool and super exciting. Um, we'll follow that up shortly with uh, another test set in a couple of months called Tappuccino. Um, we'll, by the way, we'll, we'll be at ETH Denver and we'll be presenting um, a demo around um, interoperability. We'll be working um, uh, with some interoperability bridging solutions and, and demoing how a shared sequencer can help. So basically what we were talking about for much of, much of today. And um, shortly after Cappuccino, we're planning on releasing basically a production version of the sequencer, but running on a temporarily fixed set of nodes, and we're calling that DCAS. Um, but the idea is that it will be in production at that point, and real rollups are going to be running on it with real value. And later this year, um, we're going to migrate that to a, um, a, a mainnet for, for the Espresso sequencer. So super, super busy um busy year um we have a lot planned um a lot to do and um yeah working work, working really hard on everything ranging from you know the the, the core consensus uh hotshot to um to integrations uh we're working with many many teams uh, on integrating their stacks we're working with various uh role as a service 
companies as well to make sure that it's easy to use espresso. Um, if you're a roll-up or, or a roll-up as a service company and you're interested, um, definitely check us out at espressosys.com. Um, we, we have a button you can click at the top um, to uh, participate as a roll-up or a node operator. So definitely check us out. And um, yeah, there, there's, there's a lot to do this this year. And I think so much about the modular stack is slowly coming to fruition. So I think I think the environment and the user experience and the ecosystem is going to look very, very different. Um, you know, within a year. So it's so super exciting. Right. Very, yeah. very good. Get ready to turn uh, for Modular March, Rob. Let's go, Modular March. Yeah, Charles. I mean, it, it, was, it was really cool to hear you, you know, like scope out the modular landscape um, and also also unpack like those those three work streams that are happening on, on every roll-up at every level. Um, consensus, uh, um uh ordering and settlement i mean like we we speak quite a bit about parallelization and by unpacking those you're able to run them in parallel and then you're able to even further scale each of those work streams by you know only specializing on one piece um so it's very very cool to to hear your mental model and the architecture you you envision uh for espresso and and how it it fits into the rest of the modular ecosystem yeah, it was it was super fun to discuss, and um, yeah, I you know if, if anyone has any questions or if either of you have any questions, uh, would would love to continue discussing. So so definitely reach out, and um, yeah, it was a was a huge pleasure to be be, be on, and uh, yeah, thanks thanks so much for the invite. Are you going to eat Thunder, Charles? I I will be there, yeah, and we'll we'll actually be putting together a side event. Um, several members of of the Espresso Systems team will be there as well. Um, so yeah, look looking forward to seeing everyone. Seth, man, love to meet up uh, in Denver and uh, absolutely our pleasure. Thanks for coming on. Cool. Thanks a bunch. Thanks for listening to the DeFi by Design podcast. And a big thank you to all of our sponsors for their support. Please check them out in the links below as well as on our website and in our newsletter. We'll be back with more exciting guests and insights. Until then, stay curious, stay informed, and keep designing the future of DeFi.